0: knock knock who's there it's just america's most uninvited podcast the pod people i'm matisse Rossum, and i'm a friend of the family uh i'm ben sheets and
1: i'm everyone's favorite goth and, and i'm um, um,
0: joshay yes joshay <laughs> our, <laughs> our guest for the guest uh, Joe Shea, returning from, uh, uh, an episode on The Quiet Place we did almost three years ago, as hard as that is to believe. So, uh, long time listeners of the show might remember Joe. Uh, Joe, we're super stoked to have you back today. How have you been? What, uh, what have you been up to in the two and a half years since the last time you're on the show? Tell us everything. <laughs>
2: I've been not too shabby. Apart from like the quarantine business, the Milwaukee film scene has been kind of fun. I've been working on some projects. The whole thing with quarantine was like right before I had one of like the best months of my life. I went to Florida for the first time and I worked on Andrew Paul Davis's second film, the guy who made Palace and we made Pompano Boy. I like don't even know how to explain how good it feels to work on a film from beginning to end. No hate to any Milwaukee film out there, but like shit <laughs> <laughs> takes forever to get you done, which is rightfully so. So we were able to get everyone together. So that was dope.
0: And you got um, all the production done before COVID started or before it really kicked yeah, off. Yeah, dude. Yeah. We knocked it oh, Nick out of time.
2: In a month. I think we had like, I want to say almost like 30 shoot days or something like that. We're in color lock right now. And just fine-tuning some things, and then we'll see what happens. And then I'm associate producer on Ring of which is actually going to be premiering August 31st at the L.A. Dances with the Film Festival. Oh, shit, man. uh, Digitally. So that's kind of dope. But, like, other than that, as exciting as all those things, quarantine has been so quiet. So to do a podcast, to rewatch a great film, and, like, reconnect, it was pretty dope.
0: Hell yeah. Well, we're super glad to have you back. I wish we'd had you back sooner because uh, two and a half years is way too long. But uh, let's get into our movie for the week. As Ben intimated, we are talking about the 2014 film The Guest, directed by Adam Wingard and written by Simon Barrett and starring Dan Stevens, Micah Monroe, Brendan Meyer and Lance Reddick. And it is a film about a mysterious stranger who shows up at a family's house saying that he was a friend of their son who was killed in the Middle East. So, uh. I'm gonna put
1: this out there. You know, I think we've said this plenty of times for past movies, but the less you know going into this, the better. I think there's such a charm to a first watch of this movie. For very particular reasons that we'll get into. Yes. I think if you haven't seen this movie...
0: Just go watch it and come back. It's on Netflix. It's been on Netflix for as long as I can remember. They never seem to take it off. Definitely, I agree with Ben on this one. Go check this one out uh, before listening to this episode. I don't think you'll be disappointed. But um Ben and I rewatched this a few days ago. But Joe, you said you just finished your re- rewatch like 15 minutes ago. So Yeah, dude's. You're you're hot I, you're hot and ready to go. So why don't you get us started? I'm why right don't now. you uh, why don't you tell us uh, some of your initial thoughts on the guest?
2: Oh, it's so dope! Just what you guys just said already. You don't need to know really anything about it going in. Uh, you like you heard the synopsis. That should be tantalizing enough. Or when you see like even the title card, I get gassed up on that title card. It, yeah. it just feels like you're gonna watch a dope movie. I know that might sound just like film nerd to say that, but, um, yeah, don't watch the trailer. Just go in blind. Uh, You just have a fun time. This was actually the gateway movie into, I don't know if soft horror is a right term for it, but I told Ben and Matisse that I was so scared of horror movies, and this was like, yo, we got a movie for you. And then we watched The Guest, and it just... Blew my expectations out of the water. It's a fun time.
1: Yeah, well, you made a good point because this movie definitely just oozes with style from front to back. You know, I think the style is one of its biggest uh, absolutely you know traits. It takes a fairly simple story and just elevates it with these uh, cool neon color palettes. These uh, this uh, amazing, very goth electronic soundtrack
0: well what i what i love about this movie is that this is like a true 80s horror homage a lot of times when you hear people talk about like oh this movie is so 80s and ourselves included sometimes usually that just means uh they use a lot of like neon colors and then this and the score is synth heavy but this movie is from its pacing to its performances its characters everything about it feels like an 80s movie and i think they they pull that off so well and uh i i know that this movie is described as halloween meets the terminator and in many ways i think that that is literally the perfect way to describe it i think
1: it. yeah that's that's spot on it's so john carpenter influenced
0: they said when they set out to make this movie that they wanted to make a movie that played out like a horror movie but at the pace of a thriller and I personally think they accomplished that extremely well. What do you guys think?
2: Definitely. I don't know if this is blasphemous to say to other eighties movies, but it almost elevates like the eighties kind of like genre feel to it because there's so many lines that could easily like just fall away as like kooky and just doesn't really hit. But the characters are so well written. And the performances are so great that you really just, like, get into it. Like, you don't feel like these are your, like, stereotypical, like, young kids, like, in the family. Like, the Peterson family, I feel like they're pretty well, like, fleshed out. Like, the dad is kind of, like, out of the picture. But even his, like, hey, let's let's get a beer. Like, you want to have a beer just with me? Just an alcoholic. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you pick up on things. It's constantly, like, laying the groundwork.
0: Yeah, the, yeah, the, family, the family feels very authentic and not like tropey at all. And and they feel like they're dysfunctional but also still like care about each other, which I think is something that like films don't get right when they're trying to make, like, your standard dysfunctional family. It's like, oh, they all just fucking hate each other, and that's what makes them dysfunctional. It's like, no, they're they're coping with the recent death of their son, you know, who died in the military, and the dad is... A drunk and is not making any advancement in his career so he's not making more money the mom is like grieving heavily because of her son like the daughter is you know 20 and still living at home in their like bumfuck little town I thought I could have sworn this was in like Oklahoma or something I guess it's supposed to be New Mexico but uh, it feels like Oklahoma horror to <laughs> me <laughs> um, but you know just like sleeping all day working at a diner at night and then uh, the son is just like uh, the the younger brother is uh, bullied at school. He's kind of like a almost seems like sort of an emo kind of kid, you know, quiet, sensitive, um, and gets bullied by the jocks in the uh, in the Letterman jackets. You know, you know, it's a, is it really an eighties movie if you're not pushed into a locker and called a pussy by a dude in a Letterman jacket? <laughs>
1: You guys are spot on with the family stuff. I think a lot of the reason it works is it's so focused in its writing on Dan Stevens' character coming back or coming there and showing up and how they deal with almost a sort of replacement of the son that went to Iraq with him and how each family member kind of deals with that. You know, whether it's the younger son kind of seeing him as kind of a
0: replacement big brother. Who teaches him, like, how to defend himself and, like, stand up to the bullies and shit like Mm -hmm. that. To the sister not really trusting
1: him at any point. But then Um, he
0: smokes smokes a blunt at the party and she's like, oh, okay, yeah, he's actually pretty cool. Comes in
1: with two kegs,
2: nonchalantly. Oh my god! Yeah, I love that shit. He just like
0: walks in, one keg on one shoulder, the other in the other hand, and just like everyone's like, "Oh my god!" (laughs) This sort of like intense dreamboat, like handsome soldier boy, you know, just coming in and trying to make everybody's life better, but then not really.
1: It's kind of that classic trope of be careful what you wish for. I love the dissection of like a grieving family getting back kind of their their son in a
0: way, but it's more than they bargain for it's, in the end. It's literally the monkey's paw, you know. Yeah, yeah. They, they try to they wish for their dead son to come back, and in a way he does, but he's actually a monster. In some
1: ways it reminds me of that movie uh Do you remember that movie we covered a few years back, Dead of Night?
0: Yes. Where the dead son comes
1: back. Yeah. Uh, It's that same type of trope of uh, at what cost. (laughs) Right. I think you guys are also spot on about the 80s stuff. I think the reason it works so well here where it doesn't work as well in some other uh, more directly 80s, 80s homages is it's... 80s in pacing and feel rather than being you know directly pointing at itself and being like oh this is an 80s reference this is an 80s reference and it's not set in the 80s yeah it's, so it's, it's not it's, it's not a not very like timeless things. film yeah. you know it's more like it follows in that sense In that you know it doesn't date itself
0: Yes, exactly, I, and I'm really glad you brought up the comparison to It Follows because uh, Micah Monroe, who is the protagonist in It Follows, is the protagonist in this as well. She's awesome. I love that she's in all of these like truly 80s style movies. Like she feels like a a, a new generation of like uh, 80s horror heroine, the 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 scream queen for lack of the, <laughs> a better term. Um, and I I really like couldn't stop thinking about that in in relation to this movie. It's like she perfectly captures that blend of uh, vulnerable but also like fearless enough to uh, take action, decisively take action. She's fucking awesome. I wish she was in more stuff. I keep seeing ads for something she's in on Quibi now, but there's no way I'm going to watch that.
2: (laughs) I think you have to watch it on like a vertical... Like isn't it vertical, and yeah, you it's like ten minutes, yep, and I, you have to get an entire entire <laughs> app for it.
1: it's ten dollars a month too. <laughs>
0: Yeah, Yeah. for fucking 10 minute uh, films shot in in an aspect ratio so you can watch them on your vertically on your phone. (laughs) I'm against it on principle, (laughs) honestly. (laughs) It's
1: such a bad idea. (laughs) This is a sidebar, but they dropped like an absurd amount of money into Quibi. It was like three billion dollars or something like that. Hilarious. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Oh, uh, one thing I wanted to cover a little bit before we dive head into the twist and kind of the the turning of this movie, mm-hmm. because I think that deserves a lot of time in itself. Uh, I wanted to talk about the fight choreography a little bit. I think the oh, yeah. the fight scenes in this movie are really fun.
0: And I think they're
1: shot super well.
0: We talked pretty recently about uh, when we did when we talked about I Saw the Devil um, about like modern fight scene cinematography. And this movie takes the more old fashioned approach that I prefer of like not too many quick cuts, not over the shoulder, handheld camera. So you can actually watch the action. (laughs) You can actually see it and appreciate it. And uh, yeah, there's some. There's not a ton, not a ton of like super hand to hand stuff, but like the stuff there is 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 good. Uh, the fight scene in the bar that serves the high school kids, it, that whole scene is maybe my favorite scene in the movie. It's hard to say. There's so many good scenes, but like having David take the younger brother into this bar where he knows his bullies are drinking, and then to order for their table. Uh, blowjob shots for the girls and then cosmopolitans for the guys, knowing that their fragile sexuality will be, uh, will be <laughs> damaged by this and that they'll, uh, they'll try to start something Brother.
1: and I can't help but notice those ladies over there are drinking cheap beer, that seems like a shame to me I'd like to buy each one of them a blowjob shot are you serious? I am yes Do you want to buy
2: anything for their fellas? Do I look like I'd like to buy something for their fellas? Might be the polite thing to do. Sure, okay, fine. Let me get
0: each one of those guys a Cosmopolitan. Uh Mister, I don't know what you're going for, but uh, I was thinking of beer. Nope. Blowjob shots for the ladies
2: and a Cosmopolitan for each of the guys. You can keep the change on there.
0: And also, I think that that scene is the perfect first indication that David is actually a psychopath, because what he orders for himself is what he calls a fireball shot, which is not just fireball whiskey. Oh, no, it's cinnamon schnapps mixed with Tabasco sauce, the drink of a true <laughs> psychopath. <laughs> And he sips it and just no sells it
1: completely. That's one of my favorite parts about it.
0: He never, I I read in some trivia that he never blinks in the entire movie, which I think is really funny. Just like completely no sells that like intense psychopath thing with those like really piercing blue eyes. Do you
2: think he actually liked the drink or did he have it played out in his mind that he was about to throw it in that guy's face?
0: Uh, probably, probably both. Um, yeah. or I mean, probably, probably he knew it would be good to throw, throw in the dude's eyes. Um, but you know, he, he doesn't even flinch when he drinks it, you know? So <laughs> i i love too that one of the bullies uh in true 80s high school bully fashion in every scene he's in has an absurdly popped collar (laughs) oh it's very high it's up there yeah exactly (laughs) he's great all of the bullies are kind of campy
1: uh which is a good theme of this movie is just a general sense of camp things are a little over the top but extremely. Yeah, but-,
0: but but they're they're played off in such a straight-faced way that it doesn't feel like the filmmakers are trying to rub in your face like hey this is campy, remember the 80s? It's doing camp as the as films in the 80s did. It's playing it sincerely but doing it like with such confidence and balls that you know it's intentional. Um, how does the how does the tone of the film strike you, Joe? How how do you feel like it balances like the serious with the fun?
2: To me, it's a perfect film. The coordination is just perfect. It seems storyboarded to a T. Everything that happens, the score, the sound design, the cinematography, all just blends to the point where I didn't think about it until it was a rewatch. Because the first time, you're just immersed into it. But the second time, I was just noticing how they were – I don't even know. I, like, can't comprehend <laughs> how bananas good it is. I don't even know if it was the best idea to watch it right before because I'm just, like, geeked on it right now. So I sound like a fanboy. But hey, the balance is, is great. Right. The pacing of it is just, like, you know, what they sought out to do, they did it. Pacing of a thriller but like the feeling of a horror film at the same time. What you said with Dan Stevens not blinking as David, which is also a really great thing. I don't know if you care if I say this, but in the IMDb, his name is David with quotation With marks. quotes on it, yeah. I love that. That's great. It's just like he's always just has like this slight unhinged about him, but you kind of love him at the same time.
1: He's extremely likable.
2: Yeah, for sure. He just like, shows up at the door he's super courteous after he just ran from the bus station and uh, he's like oh you know I'll find a motel
0: oh yeah I don't want to be a bother I don't want to take up y'all's time I don't want to you know I don't I don't want to I don't want to like insert myself you know y'all are grieving I just wanted to stop by and say hi you know so so polite so clean cut so charismatic so handsome I didn't
2: actually think about that Terminator and the Halloween are, like, a perfect example of it being, like, a love child of, like, a combination. Yeah. Um,
1: it's perfect. Well, yeah, especially in the second half, it just becomes Halloween. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get into that.
2: <laughs> I won't say, because I feel like this needs to be talked about later, but this is, like, an interesting Terminator correlation that I think is pretty blaring obvious. But the slow thumbs up. You know yes. what I'm talking about? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, that's incredible. I love that. Yeah, there's just like these little maybe big tip of the hat moment, um, but it's also just like these nice little nods that they have.
0: If y'all had to guess, what would you say the budget of this movie was? I know the answer, but I'm curious to see what y'all think.
1: $4 million. By you asking, it's got
2: to be lower. So like $2.5
0: It was actually right about $5 million. Ben's very close. And it's perfect. It does so much with that budget. Like, once again, just goes to show that you can do so much with so little if you have a good idea and a good script.
1: Yeah, and it definitely makes the most of its budget. I think this is a good segue into talking about the big turning. The twist. Yes. uh, As the movie continues it becomes more clear that uh david might not be exactly who he seems to say the least (laughs) at one point uh micah monroe's character calls the the base where he was stationed with her brother to ask about him they cut to a military command center and the computer says, uh, what does it say? It says, like, call uh, this corporate office immediately. Like KG, KPG. KG KPG.
0: KPG. Which is a, a apparently a, a running motif in some of Adam Wingard's other films, as as KPG as like a as like a corporation. Yeah, and we learn that David is uh, the result of some mysterious, vague uh, like super soldier project between the the, the military and uh, a, an evil corporation. What I really want to talk about in that regard is how much we learn or know about David's backstory. Do y'all think that it's too vague? Do you think it's just the right amount of information? Would you want more? Or would you want less? Um, I have some of my own thoughts on that, but um, I'll let y'all go first. Well,
1: you know, it's funny because it's been a while since I saw the guest and before we had rewatched it, I was thinking back on it, and I was like, remembering all of these great scenes and individual things, but I was having a hard time thinking of the exact reasoning they went with for David, yeah, uh, because it is very ambiguous, I guess you could say, but i on rewatch what I really like about it is they sprinkle in just enough context. Where if you're paying attention or if you're looking for it, you can get, you know, some sort of explanation um, while not beating you over the head with, oh, this is a military experiment gone wrong or something like that.
2: I'm with Ben. Like, I, I love how it played out. I think it's fun when you can kind of leave things up in the air where it's still like its own story. And it's not um, like robbing you of anything, but also I think it's fun to want to know more about a character when you you end something, but also feel satisfied. And they do that with them. Yeah. Uh,
0: I think I, yeah. I think I would have been frustrated if they had done more exposition into like details of who he is or where he comes from. Like the idea that he's part of like some experiment is enough. We see early in the film when he first shows up, like he goes to a photo on their mantle of like their their dead son's unit. And he's like, hey, there I am, right there. And he points himself out. So it's like we know that he's not completely lying, that he did know their son, but... To what degree was his was their son also a part of the Super Soldier Project? Or was it something that like David was brought into when he got back from the Middle East, like after he was injured or whatever? Was it an experiment to save his life because of the injury? It's like we don't really know. We just know that there's some evil Super Soldier Project, and uh, he's the result of it. And I love, too, is that we don't even get a clear answer on whether he was a psychopath before the experiment or if the experiment made him a psychopath. And I love that. I love not having those answers. We mentioned it
1: earlier, but the Halloween comparison is very relevant when we get to the second half turn because he essentially is just Michael Myers with a different coat of paint. What I love in that comparison too is at the beginning of Halloween we see Michael Myers do the very bad thing at the beginning. And, yeah, you know, the we see his, yeah, the murder. Yeah, the murder. We see his actions directly, and in this it's somewhat similar. You know, instead of backstory, we get scenes of him acting very violently towards others. Yeah, and we don't really. Completely connect the dots uh, until you know the the turning happens and Lance Reddick appears. Uh, oh, I really love how yes. they introduce Lance Reddick uh, during that turning because uh, he's such a great actor. But. You- He's an actor that if you didn't know he was in this movie, you probably wouldn't expect him to
0: show up. I'm not going to lie. I completely forgot that Lance Reddick was in this movie until we rewatched it. And seeing him was such a... A delightful surprise. You're like, oh, yeah! Apparently, in the original cut of this movie, there was no indication about, like, the Super Soldier project until Lance Reddick shows up at the house later with the military police dressed as Neo from The Matrix. (laughs) Um... And appa- and the, the test screenings, people were like, what? What's happening? Where did this guy come from? Who is this guy? So they went back and added in those couple of little scenes of like him at KPG or whatever being like, you've got to get me out there right now. And if anybody asks about it, make something up. We can't let this news get out. I love that shit. It's it's like the perfect level of over-the-top for, like, evil military projects.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's fantastic, too. When I first saw this movie, I went in super blind, and I didn't know he was in this. And I just about squealed when I saw him, you know? He's such a great character actor, and, you know, whether it's from The Wire or from any of his other countless appearances. He he just steals the show every time. That's really interesting, though, that they added those bits of context
0: after the fact. Yeah, because they originally just had him rolling up at the house with all of these soldiers. <laughs> just totally unexplained. And part of me kind of loves that, but I don't hate the the context that they added to it. I think it's just the right amount. It's still vague enough, but you can tell what's going on. Yeah, it doesn't overexplain anything.
1: I love how the scene, when Lance Reddick appears, is shot. You know, he shows up to the house, and the mom's outside asking questions, and you have this, uh, what are they called, drying racks? Ma- clothesline. Clothesline, yeah. Line. Uh, they have this clothesline with a big white blanket on it, and you just see the white blanket kind of sweep up and David is standing there and he drops the basket he's holding.
0: It's so well shot. It's it's great and it is also evocative of the beginning of halloween when uh jamie lee curtis sees michael myers in her backyard and then like the the sheet on the clothesline blows in front of him and then he's gone it's kind of like a reverse of that it's like he appears behind the sheet and then fucking pulls out his gun i love that shit too because the the soldiers waste so much ammo just absolutely (laughs) annihilating the house they have no idea who else is in the house how many people are in there they just see him go in there so they just stand outside dumping bullets into the facade for like five minutes that kind of
2: ties back into what you said about the fight choreography because even as brilliant as the bar scene i think that fight scene is the one that i love because you really get to see David, Dan Stevens' expressions. Yes. Um, like when they pull out the, what is it? Like the, the LMG, some sort of RPD kind of gun. Well, you know, guns, war shit. Yeah. Um, pew, pew. They pull out that big gun and he looks and he like shows the most human. He just like mumbles to himself and like rolls his like, eyes <laughs> and just darts. And then they just continue lighting up the house. But you just get so much of that. And, you know, there's no shaky camera stuff and it just plays out really well. And I really love that laundry sheet thing.
0: His delivery you know. on everything is so perfect. I'm so glad you brought that up uh, because Lance Reddick tells Micah Monroe that David is programmed to uh, clean up or you know get rid of any evidence if anybody knows who he is. So it's like, even if he wanted to, he probably couldn't stop. And you really get that impression too. It's just like the way, exactly like you mentioned, everything seems like a chore. He's just like rolling his eyes. Like after that, when he goes to look for Micah Monroe at the diner and shoots the waitress. And then the the way he, the look on his face when he pulls the grenades out from behind his back, like almost like, ugh, I can't believe I have to do this. And just like rolls them into the room and walks out. I fucking love that shit. It
1: straddles the line so perfectly between being brutal and really campy fun. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, he he is turning into a just a horrible monster in front of your eyes. You know, he kills the mother by stabbing her. Yep. Uh, <laughs> the death of the dad I find very entertaining. Where he just uh, rams the car into <laughs> the dad's car. Uh, and you even
2: get the fact that he didn't realize that it was the dad. Yeah. Because like, when he pulls up on him, he's like... Are you kidding me? Exactly. I just it's not had like the oh mom. Fuck, I gotta kill now him. Now I do you. And he's just like, dude, I'm shoots him and walks away. (laughs) He's like, I'm really sorry about
0: this, sir, and just shoots him (laughs) and walks away. Oh, yeah. That shit is so funny. Like, I don't know why he purposely crashes his car into the dad. I don't, I, I, but it's fun. I don't, so I don't care. You know, he just, yeah, I've read that as he knew who it was, he just thought
1: it would kill him immediately. And he was surprised oh, okay. when... I could see that. <laughs> that could be, yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess he would,
0: he would recognize the dad's car, huh? Like, yeah. he's been living there for a few days, at least, so... Yeah. I could see that, yeah. He's just surprised that
1: he lived through <laughs> a head-on collision. It's so over-the-top, but I love it so much. I will say my favorite scene of the movie is shortly after that, where they go back to the high school... Ah, yes. The The climax, the final showdown. Yes, with the uh, sort of funhouse prom... It's like they, up. they
0: they do like a apparently their school does like a Halloween dance or whatever, and they set up like a like a a haunted house maze. And all I can think about during this is like my high school never did anything nearly that cool. <laughs> like I wish I fucking wish like the 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 decorations, like the maze. It's all fucking it's sweet, you know. Like my high school never did anything that cool. Yeah, I.
1: I love the, the mirror maze they have. It's such such a perfect set piece for something like this. And it's used perfectly in this movie.
0: Well, I mean, just everything about that final confrontation scene is so perfect. The brother is there because he gets detention for fighting. Um, you know, so he's there setting up the decorations, so that's why uh Michael Monroe and Lance Reddick go there and uh, David follows them. But uh, we know that um, Micah Monroe, in true '80s fashion, has a penchant for making people mixtapes of uh, you know synthwave music. Uh, yeah, well, it's all like uh, like dark goth EBM
1: stuff, uh, which I I appreciate because you know it's it's not just regular synthwave; it's like. Specifically, like dark,
0: yeah. darker sounding stuff. Well, the 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 soundtrack. We can just d- divert a little bit to talk about the soundtrack because it's fucking it's fucking awesome. It's all like dark synthwave stuff, and like they've got a uh, a couple of like survive tracks in there, um, a couple of DAF tracks, yeah. uh, which apparently aren't on the official soundtrack. I don't know why, but uh, like mm. that shit's really great. All of this cool, dark, 80s-style synth wave. And uh, at one point, Micah Monroe makes a mixtape for David because he asks for one. Because they're driving home from the party, and he's like, hey, I like this music. And she's like, you like this music? (laughs) He's like... Yeah, it's cool. Can you make me a mixtape? <laughs> and uh, and and so she does, and he t- he has it with him the whole time. Like all of the action is going on, and they know that he has arrived to the party or the 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 gym where the the Halloween maze is set up because he turns all of, like, the spooky lights and fog machines on, and he puts the mixtape she made for him, like, on the sound system. So the whole final sequence is set to this, like, mixtape that she made for him, and I think that's incredible. So the music is diegetic. It's, it's awesome.
1: Yeah, and it's such a perfect soundtrack for that scene especially. I love the use of fog machines closer to the end of that scene.
0: Yeah, did, did y'all uh, did y'all catch the little uh, Halloween 3 Easter egg in that scene? No. In the background of one of the shots, uh, they have paper cutouts of the three different silver shamrock masks from Halloween 3 Season <laughs> of the Witch. Oh, that's super fun. I didn't catch it the first time I watched this movie. This time I was like, hey, wait a second.
2: <laughs> Something, too, that was really fun about the music and I don't think you can get away with it other than like that you see that he's playing the mixtape is the songs actually end, and another song starts up, yeah, like through it, it just works, it's so cool, it's just like ends another song starts, and you really feel like you're there, and oh man, I really dig that
1: it's ends. such a perfect way to highlight multiple awesome tracks of music too because they They all work perfectly, they're all queued up really perfectly to the
0: to the the action of that climactic scene yeah i mean the the soundtrack just in general, and they do they do a lot of it so it, a lot of it in this movie is diegetic which i think is really cool i always really like when movies do that but like the soundtrack for this movie is god tier as far as i'm concerned it does not have any bad tracks or bad artists as far as i as far as i know
2: <laughs> agreed
0: should we just talk about the ending here oh well before we do i think what is an interesting narrative decision in this movie is how uh the the younger brother kind of for a, a little while becomes like complicit because Micah Monroe tells him, she's like, hey, I think there's something wrong with David. I think he killed dad's boss. I think he killed our our friend, the guy, the guy who he shot at the quarry. There's something, like, not wrong. I need you to help me, like, investigate him. And what does the brother immediately go do is goes right to David and tells him, like, hey, uh, uh, my sister's looking into you. She thinks you killed a bunch of people. And just for the record, if you did, I don't really care, you know, because, like, you wouldn't hurt us, right? And it's like, no you dumb idiot now he (laughs) now he knows that you know so he has to kill you and how even for a while he doesn't believe micah monroe when she's telling him that like david has killed like he's coming after us the brother's like no he just wants he just wants to kill the military guy he wouldn't hurt us and she's like you idiot he killed mom and dad (laughs) it's like oh damn And so then we get that nice callback to David telling uh, the younger brother, like, don't ever let anybody pick on you because then you make yourself... A victim and everybody will take advantage of you and he gives him the fucking butterfly knife and so he takes david's advice at the end and he doesn't let anybody pick on him and he stabs the shit out of him with that butterfly knife multiple times and i love when david is just like you did the right thing i'm not mad at you this is what i would have done too (laughs) So it's almost like and he gives
2: him a thumbs up too. And oh, he's just like, good job. As he's <laughs> yeah. as he's lying on the
0: ground next to like these bales of hay with little plastic gravestone markers on them. This is R.I.P. <laughs> as he's being covered by this like gentle uh sheet of fog and he just does the slow thumbs up. It's so fucking
1: funny. Before that point when he was telling the brother this. He was saying it from a, a point of like brotherly advice. Yeah, exactly. And at the point where you know he's giving the thumbs up, it's clear he's a psychopath. Right. So, right. so being so a psychopath being proud of you really rings differently than
0: uh, you know <laughs> your your brother figure. It's it's true. You did it, Joe. You looked like you had something you wanted to say.
2: Just that the brother deciding to, to side with David worked really well because it was just right after he was about to get completely kicked out of the school right. for the fight. Mm-hmm. And David completely comes in there and totally does damage control like he does, uh, in all the other situations
0: just but like just totally like, walks all over the principal. It, <laughs> that's it's amazing. amazing. Yeah. Fantastic. And, and to close and, it with, and it was like, who are you? He's like, I'm a friend of the family. And then just walks out of <laughs> the office. Uh, just sorry, gives him a saying. little smirk
2: too as yeah. the door is closing. It's so good. And yeah, it's just like all these things that are leading up to it. And just like realizing this is like what a 15 year old kid in high school who has no friends really besides like his online buddies. What is the characters? Kids name? I'm oh, the brother,
0: on um, uh, uh I got this. Uh, it is Luke. 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 Yeah.
2: Luke. Luke attaches onto him because he's missing a brother. And it's just like, it plays out really well and just why he decides it. Because it's not one of those, like, moments where you get upset. I mean, you're upset at what he's doing, but you're not, like, there
0: is an internal yeah, logic reason. there. Yeah. It's yeah. it's believable. Yeah. It's authentic like from Luke's perspective, like David has shown up and like taught him valuable things about how to like take care of himself. He has markedly improved Luke's life and he Luke feels like he has somebody looking out for him so it makes sense for him to be like like oh yeah like you, whatever you did like i don't even care if you killed dad's boss but uh you've helped me so why would you why would you like try to hurt us like my sister's just being paranoid or whatever you know it's it's like no you little shit but it feels it feels real it's like oh, yeah, yeah I get it. I get it. You're dumb, but I get it. You know, I appreciate that. Well, to to close the the events of the film out, we see uh uh Luke and Anna uh, uh sitting in the back of an ambulance, you know, being treated for the trauma they've just been through. Uh the they the gym gets the high school gets set on fire, so the the firemen are there, and uh as as Anna's sitting there, she looks up and she sees a fireman walk sort of limping out of the building, and she locks eyes with him, and it's very obviously uh, David's eyes behind the mask, and it just cuts back to Micah Monroe. She just says, what the fuck? Cut to credits. The perfect way to end this movie.
2: That was so brilliant, and potentially my favorite last line of a film ever. At some point, if I'm ever so blessed to make a film where I get to have the last line be what the fuck it's <laughs> happening, man. I want that so bad. It's, it's, um, it's
0: great because it's exactly what the viewer is thinking, too. It's having the character vocalize what you're thinking for you because it's like he... As we see him sort of like sink into the fog with his slow thumbs up uh, Terminator style, the butterfly knife is like sticking out of his heart. Like he's got to be dead, right? And then to see him like coming out, it's like, what the fuck? It's just like Michael Myers, you know? Speaking (laughs) of Michael Myers. Yes. There
1: were rumors uh, recently that they were thinking about doing a sequel to the guest and before the rewatch i was a little nervous about that but i was
0: like nah no don't do that but after
1: rewatching i could see them doing it you know they 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 had the little bit about the subplot of him changing his facial structure to blend
0: in to normal society that's what he was he was looking for a plastic surgeon in florida a a uh, disgraced surgeon to, uh, so he could peace out of here and change his face and burn off his fingerprints. Yeah, I you know, I'm I'm with you, like looking back on this film before we rewatched it, I was like I was like, oh, no, it stands alone so well. It doesn't need a sequel. And while I I do think that it is a perfect standalone film and it doesn't need a sequel for once, I don't think I would hate a sequel to do a, to a, to a movie. <laughs> What about you, Joe? Like, do you think do you think they could do a good guest sequel to turn the guest into into the new Halloween?
2: (laughs) I hope they could do a good sequel, but it's also one of those things where, you know, like you don't want to
1: ruin a good thing. Yeah, if it's not broke, you know. Right. Exactly.
0: You run the risk of saying like, well, if they do make a sequel and it sucks, is it going to tarnish the original it's hard to say. I don't know. I think I honestly like if they brought back the same the same team. Like if they had Adam Wingard direct and and Simon Barrett write, and you know, still have Dan Stevens and Micah Monroe, I could get down with it. It might yeah. suck, but you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't be mad if they tried. Honestly, I would be more game for them trying to make a sequel to the guest than seeing yet another reboot of like an old horror franchise. Oh, for sure. Or another yeah, fucking I, or another Annabelle movie, you know?
2: <laughs> on a side note from the guest, Stranger Things was a show that I wanted to be one season and done. Like yeah. and I think we would have a completely different perspective on Stranger Things if it was one season and done. Totally because then it became its own weird whatever. Not to say I didn't enjoy season three. Um but like the guest getting a sequel could completely even so um going on to Halloween, even though Halloween's gotten a bunch of however you feel about those sequels, I still think Halloween stands alone at like on its own film. I don't think anyone discredits the first totally. film yeah, like a part of me thinks like you know if you got a chance to make another one, I think it could be pretty dope.
0: I think that it still has potential. I don't think that they that they're they've run the premise dry in a single film it doesn't need to continue but yeah you know honestly from both perspectives that's a great point because i haven't seen a lot of the halloween sequels and in many ways do kind of consider the original a standalone at least until like the the david gordon green one that came out a couple of years ago um that i thought carried on that legacy pretty well but also like yeah stranger things is such a good example because i'm with you i didn't dislike season three but stranger things is starting to get to like a cultural point where i'm like a little annoyed with it it becomes stale after some time yeah it's like i i don't I didn't have a bad time watching season 3, but it's like all of the continued hype around it and just like it being like always the hot pop culture thing is like, ooh, Stranger Things, new Stranger Things season, so all we're going to see about online is Stranger Things for a month until everybody forgets about it until next year. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I've I'm at the point where I'm a little annoyed by that by that now. But um and and I think that Stranger Things season 1 was fantastic, and they could have ended it there, and that could have been it. I totally think so. I agree with you. Great point, Joe.
1: Well, part of the reason I would kind of want to see a guest sequel is I want to see a return to form for Adam Wingard. Uh, you yeah, know, after, he needs it. Uh, before The Guest, he did the fantastic film You're Next, which I'm sure we'll cover at some point. But after that, he has been going on to do... Just some bad movies. He did the Blair Witch uh, remake. He did the Death Note. Oh, uh, God, the
0: live-action Death Note. I forgot about movies. that. Yeah, he
1: did do I that. I was going to say it, too. That shit sucked, bro. Ooh, yeah. fuck. <laughs> Apparently, his next movie is uh, Godzilla versus King Kong. So Wait, he's directing that? Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, honestly, could be good, but I'm going to keep my hopes... Uh, moderate until I see more from it.
0: Wow. Yeah, I I didn't love the 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 most recent Godzilla movie. Kong Skull Island was pretty decent. Um, I thought like, Kong
1: Skull Island was rad. Joe and I went to see it at the theater back Dude, way back. That was free
2: Joe when there was a UWM film prof there and Ben helped me sneaking two tall boys underneath Hell yeah. my jacket <laughs> Hell yes, while brother. I sat at the bar with the professor while I didn't get carded. It was sweet. And we <laughs> paid for, see, IPIC is pretty much closed, so they can't fuck us over on this. Uh, we paid for the very front row seats, which suck at IPIC theater. And they're like 10 bucks and the other seats are $20. And so me and Ben went to the very back row and the student's like, Kong started fucking up shit we just ripped those (laughs) tall boys
0: wait into the loud boom and the the, (laughs) the sound (laughs) effect dude sneaking beers into movies is the funniest thing and I fucking love it because you always have to wait for a moment to crack that shit open sometimes I'll go to movies and I'll hear people fail at that like they'll they'll like wait until a really quiet moment and i just hear like a can crack open I'm like dude come on honestly uh if a quiet place 2 ever comes out in theaters uh if that ever if, if that ever happens they don't just toss it in onto vod um we should we should make that a challenge as we go to the movie and see how many beers we can drink and get away with. Because I feel like that movie, there's going to be n- almost no moments to to subtly crack open a, a brew. Oh, holy shit.
2: If you want one more quick drinking story and tying into A Quiet Place. Of course. I was sitting next to you when we were watching Quiet Place, Matisse, and I had a little vodka bottle and I cracked it open and I heard you go, <laughs> and you like looked over <laughs> and you, just, um, you like have a little
0: bottle in my head
2: <laughs> you were just like i don't think that's water and you're just like <laughs> looking over.
0: hell yeah bro i had totally forgotten about that i mean fuck back in those days i was bringing flasks to the to the movie all the time like just about every time i went to the movie theater i'd bring a flask of something with me it's just you no know, movies are more fun that way you know 100 <laughs> <100%. laughs> percent. um while we're while we're kind of uh goofing off before we rate this um i i was reading through the imdb trivia for this movie earlier today and there is an extremely long extremely horny uh <laughs> um, trivia that i'm going to read for you guys just cuz i think <laughs> oh, you might oh boy um for context uh at one point uh in the in the movie uh David comes out of the bathroom uh after having showered and uh Micah Monroe is super hot for him because ooh he's got his shirt off and his abs are popping out and he looks so good. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to read you I'm going to read y'all this long ass trivia thing uh that is made funny because of how long it is uh about that specific shot. Okay, here we go. Dan Stevens was completely emaciated when he first met with filmmakers Adam Wingard and Simon Barrett because he had lost 30 pounds to star in A Walk Among the Tombstones. They really wanted him for the role, but were worried about his appearance because they wanted a really buff soldier physique for the lead character. Wingard said that Stevens looked like Christian Bale in The Machinist, but they wanted him to look like Christian Bale in Batman (laughs) begins... However, they gave him the role after Stevens promised that he would work out like mad and bulk up for the role. The day he was cast, he was assigned personal trainers and dietitians to begin his tr- physical transformation for the role. He worked out daily for two hours a day, even during shooting, eventually putting on 25 pounds of muscle and building six-pack abs for his shirtless scene. The scene was scheduled in the last week of principal photography so that he got as much time as possible to build up his physique. He was cast just a month before principal photography began and the shoot was two months long giving him about three months to prepare for the scene. (laughs) Steve... (laughs) Steven said that it was the first time in his career that he had done serious bodybuilding for a role and he was thrilled by the aesthetic appearance of his body in this film. He said it also allowed him to <laughs> He said it also allowed him to break his former image as a chubby and restrained English gent on Downton Abbey and surprise <laughs> audiences by crafting an image of a shirtless macho soldier. Wingard pointed out that Steven's body shape significantly changes from scene to scene which to their credit i did not notice um This is because the film was shot out of sequence, and Stevens was still training throughout the shoot, so that he appeared frail in some scenes, and very muscular in others. Wingard and Barrett said that Stevens' shirtless scene was one of the most important scenes in the movie, because they knew it was going to be a major selling point, and a (laughs) surefire trailer shot, and they spent more time shooting that scene than any other Wingard said that he wanted to It just keeps going, (laughs) I'm sorry No, he can't, that's what I'm saying It's hilarious (laughs) because it's so detailed Wingard said that he wanted To sexually objectify And fetishize Dan Stevens Shirtless body in this shot As it went with the playful nature of the movie Where the audience was subversively Being asked to ogle The body of the bad boy character The filmmakers scheduled That scene as late as possible Because they wanted Stevens body in optimum condition. In preparation for that scene, this is my favorite part, Steven shaved his chest and tanned his body so that all his muscle definition could be seen. In addition, Wingard said that to deepen the muscle definition even further, the trainers had Stevens do a trick where he, quote, did not consume food or any food or water for a day. And then just before the shot, <laughs> just before the shot, he drank a Diet Coke and did a hundred push-ups and a (laughs) hundred (laughs) sit-ups. This tightened up his muscles and made his veins stand out, giving him the super ripped appearance that the filmmakers wanted. The shot was then subsequently used in all the trailers and publicity material for the film
1: oh my god if i if i drank a diet coke and followed it up with a hundred push-ups and sit-ups
0: i would throw up after about five push-ups that's the funniest shit that they're like okay we have to schedule this scene for the very end of the shoot because we need our man to be in optimal ripped physical condition (laughs) i i love how they describe that as he did a trick where he didn't eat any food or drink any water and then drank a diet Coke and did a hundred pushups. That one cool trick that'll give you six pack abs. Doctors hate this man. Oh my God. So you know,
2: that's can, like a really fucked up diet Coke ad right there.
0: Yeah. Right. <laughs> I feel
2: like it's there.
0: Honestly, if they turned that into like a diet Coke ad, I would probably go out and buy a Diet Coke just for the bit, even though Diet Coke is gross. (laughs) (laughs) But I just love that, like, how long... That it's the longest trivia thing for anything on IMDB I've seen. And it's about like the hyper-specific details of shooting a scene that is shorter on screen than it took me to read that. Yeah. Uh, by by a significant margin, where he just comes out of the bathroom and is not wearing a shirt and Micah Monroe gets all uh gets all hot and bothered by it. Very
1: strong horny energy for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm.
0: Well, our, our show sure. has been very horny lately, so I thought I would continue that trend and dive really deep <laughs> into the trick of drinking a Diet Coke and doing push-ups to get a six-pack. Uh, <laughs> all right, boys, um, are y'all ready to rate this thing?
1: Let's do it.
0: Okay. So, uh, some of our listeners may be wondering... Where's Cleveland this week? We haven't said anything about that uh well, he got pulled away last minute uh for uh, he was work, uh, work no no
1: no 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 actually uh well you
0: you're not, you're not supposed to talk about it I, he He got pulled away for work stuff right
1: He left me a note. He wanted me to read it he said it it says here let me uh uncrinkle it here <clears throat> If you are reading this. I was consumed by the sponsor shelf. Please, for the love of God, send someone to Boise, Idaho on October 24th and tell them the big boy <laughs> sent, sent you and you're looking for the amulet. The amulet is the only thing that can save me now. Please, for the love of God, save me. (laughs) It's very damp in here. My social security number is
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, yeah, uh, before Cleveland got consumed by the sponsor shelf, he did actually watch this movie, and he, as his dying wish, um, asked that... uh, that we still give his rating, even though he's not here. Um, So I will give uh, Cleveland's rating after my own. But, Joe, guests go first around here. What would you rate the guest?
2: I know he's heaping on a lot of praise for it, and this might come as a surprise, but actually I think it's a 10 out of 10 for me. It's perfect.
1: Hell yeah.
2: I love it. So I'm five sorry for you. I was like trying to mislead you give you that Simon <laughs> Barrett twist turn um, but you know yeah, right. 10 out of 10
0: so uh, uh, Ben so that'll be a uh, perfect 5 out of 5 for Joe uh,
1: yes I am fully in agreement this is one of my favorite movie, uh, horror movies of the last decade I love this movie so much I think it's incredibly entertaining uh, incredibly fun uh, the soundtrack is awesome, and yeah, I have nothing but praise for it. This is a 5 out of 5 for me as well.
0: Um, yeah, it was even better on a rewatch than the last time I saw it. I couldn't believe like how much I enjoyed it even more than the last time. Um, and yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be an easy five out of five for me as well uh, I think this is a, a sleeper hit I think it's massively underrated I never hear anybody talk about this movie um, and I think that the more people who see this the better and uh, for those listeners who know what Cleveland's into it should not be any surprise that he also rated this a five out of five uh, so that's a unanimous perfect score or for the guests across the board. Um, so it will join the hallowed halls of the Golden Pods where it rightfully belongs. So what we're going to do this week, since uh, Cleve is uh, inside the sponsor shelf and will not be able to uh, read our sponsor for the week, I'm going to bring back an old segment that we haven't done in a while. I am going to take us... Back to the Metacritic Corner.
1: You freaking bricks!
0: What will you learn? What will you learn that your actions have consequences? So, in case anybody had forgotten, uh, Metacritic Corner is a segment where I find a very low-score Metacritic review of the film <laughs> that we just watched, and uh, I'm going to read it, and uh, it's another long one, but hoo boy, guys, this is maybe one of my favorite Metacritic reviews that I've ever found. So, coming back strong. This is a review by a user called guest1233444, which would lead me to believe that this person probably created a Metacritic account specifically to write this review. I'm going to read it phonetically, as always. Uh, this person self-censored with asterisks several times, <laughs> so when I come across those words, I'm, uh, I'm just going to uh, censor beep, you know, so you get the full experience. Here is Guest1233444's 3, 3, 4, 4, uh, <laughs> review of The Guest. The first part of the movie was great. Like, really great. The feel-good, one-word, feeling was totally there. Now, when I realized he was a bit shady, our main character, I kind of got the feeling of how this was going to go. Now, the movie still keeps me hooked up until our little princess wants to investigate by herself. First, this military lady hangs up, for so to Google the guy just seconds later. It took her literally 2.5 sec to check him, and she says, I'll call you back when I have some information. Not to mention how she forgets to warn about this dangerous man. And by the way, that cringy-ass message on the screen? Come on, that triggered me. A lot of more police work made by this girl causing our shady guy to realize Sht, depressing and then comes the cliche super secret operation which is all one word super secret operation <laughs> kind of our super agent manages to do some super agent magic and boom he is on his way <laughs> Fair enough. The action scene is so damn depressing. I considered pressing stop and leave seriously. No creativity. The agents either got told to look like complete f- ups or didn't know how to handle a gun. Unrealistic <laughs> reaction time, one word, from our fellow contractors, too. Car breaks garage, agent looks in the window, looks at the garage, realize our super dangerous man is in the car, which now, by the way, is, the, is outside. Stopped and gun points toward him, tries to turn contractor dramatic death what professional contractor even uses full auto and managed to empty their mags at the exact same time bro these people would have died to a pig in minecraft (laughs) (laughs) i know there are those who would fire with the it's a movie bull but i-i looks like a Bollywood homemade amateur epic gangster war about some sugary b- obviously our guy makes it out alive and fix a few things Our FBI Megatron, as the last man alive, makes it to this damn girl and says she has to come with him. She, as I would have done too, started to ask questions, and he just goes on saying something along the lines of, I am full black super uniform, man, so just follow me for no reason you won't regret it. Piece of dumbass script. Like, five hours later, after a lot of unnecessary damn drama, she just, she get told that her parents are dead. Like, holy sh- Just tell her that, you dumb piece of- Now. they Then they get to her brother, FBI guy dies, and she tries to run, and when our little boy doesn't want, she goes on with the- <laughs> You just have to trust me. Bull! <laughs> like- Just tell him his parents are dead and he need to get the f*** out of there. I am still angry. Started good, FBI got involved, and turned it all into a big bag of poo. Seriously, bye. One out of ten.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Now, we need to hang our critic hats up because I don't think we can ever top that.
0: (laughs) I don't think so. I think that, that, um... When I read it, I knew that that was going to be the end of this podcast because we will never be able to um, provide such a powerfully eloquent, eloquent, and also accurate <laughs> critique of a movie ever again. Uh, mm. This person has—they've uh, done it. Hang up, hang up the headphones, boys. Our podcasting All days sad. are done. <laughs> All right, well, that will bring us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, Next week, Ben, it's your choice. Tell us a little bit about what we're going to be watching. Yeah,
1: we're going to watch this new 2020 movie. Uh, It's been a while since we've done a foreign film on the show. We just
0: did Relic and I Saw the Devil. Well, I Saw the Devil, yeah.
1: Relic is still in English.
0: (laughs) <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> um, foreign language is, okay. is what I meant specifically. Uh, but we're going to cover uh, the new film in Pettigore. It's an Indonesian film. I want to say Indonesian or Thai, one of the two we'll East it Asian. Out. It's a new Shutter exclusive. Uh, I was eyeing this movie around the end of last year for my 2019 list, but it never got a U.S. release. Until about a week or two ago. I am really excited for this movie. The trailers look awesome. It looks really intense. I think it's going to be a really fun one.
0: I don't know anything about it and I'm gonna keep it that way. And Good. I also and I also think we shouldn't tell Cleveland what we're watching until we put it on. <laughs> I agree. That's what he that's what he gets for being eaten by the sponsor shelf at such an inconvenient time. If I was really mean, I would have <laughs> picked like
1: The Greasy Strangler (laughs) 2
0: for next week. Just tell him that's what we're picking. He'll be like, I didn't know there was a sequel. Surprise,
1: Cleveland, we're watching Trash Humpers. Ooh,
0: I wish. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, that will bring us to the end of this week's episode. If you like the show, Hit those five stars on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a nice review. Share an episode with somebody who you think might enjoy it. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Pod People Pod. And check out our letterbox at letterbox.com slash Pod People Pod. You'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those episodes. And you can also check out our list of other golden pods, perfectly rated films of which The Guest is now the newest entry.
1: Number 15. Number I 15.
0: Think. That sounds right. I don't know enough to dispute it. <laughs> uh, um, I'm on Twitter at DeepStateOzzy. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. Joe, do you have anything that you'd like to plug? Where can people find you, find your work, anything that you've got in the pipeline that they should be on the lookout for? I know you mentioned a little bit at the beginning, but uh, have at it.
2: Right on. Yeah, I would say Ring of Uh It's a film. Uh, directed and written by Kristen peterson Kazbowski and it will be premiering August 31st, and I believe September 2nd or 3rd at, yeah, I think it's Dances with the Films, uh, which is an L.A.
0: Ocean. film festival I hope this, and the premiere. This episode might actually be out after the premiere. or a couple of weeks ahead. Um, I don't know for sure, but if... Uh, oh, no worries. Is there anywhere else that they can catch it after the premiere? Will it be streamable anywhere?
2: I think we're going to be continuing on the festival run. Uh, So if you go to uh, Ringolivio Film, uh, R-I-N-G-O-L-E-V-I-O, F-I-L-M, on Instagram, uh, Twitter, or Facebook, uh, there'll be a website that you can go to and keep up to date with our premieres. Um, And then, you know, if you want... Give it a little follow, maybe give it a little like, do your thing, do whatever you want, um, and uh, stay in the loop. But it's uh, a really good good film, and yeah. I think it's another one of those the less you know, it's more enjoyable. I just like, you know, plug in other people's stuff that, you know, I'm kind of like connected to, I'm an associate producer on. Hell yeah, dude. Um, so uh, I got some other things. Uh, if you want to follow along, you can just. Maybe check out my Instagram, which is Film, J-O-E-S-H-E-A-F-I-L-M. And, uh, you know, follow my work, and I'll try to do the same. And, you know, for anyone out there, artists, got to support other artists. We're all in this together.
0: Hell yeah, man. Um, Um, Yeah. Is is Palace streaming anywhere on VOD? Do you guys have that? Because I I know that came out in between the last time you were on the show. You can watch that on Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And, uh, you can also buy it, uh, a physical copy if you're into the the physical, uh, on DVD or Blu-ray, whatever you fancy. Um, and you can find that at onecounty.com, I believe. Zero- wow. I was about to spell it zero <laughs> N-E-O-N-E-C-O-U-N-T-Y. But, uh, yeah, Palace was a minute ago, but I'm so glad you mentioned that just cause like you make a film and you hope that it continues to breathe and keeps, you know, going and that there's life for it. Um, following festivals and things like that oh, yeah there's so
0: absolutely fun. nothing wrong with plugging old work to or older work if it's still if you still want people to see it um, so yeah definitely uh, we're happy to do that um, I'll do Cleveland's little stick since he's not here um, check out uh, our uh, game it stares back which is uh, in early access on Steam we are uh, continuing to work on the next chapter which we are uh, very excited about and hoping to release soon. You can find that on Steam at It Stares Back and you can uh, follow the random few and far between things that Cleveland tweets about it, uh, on Twitter, uh, at light arc studio. So check that out as well. And, you know, check out his art station too. get him to draw you some D and D characters, all that, all that jazz. Um, but all right, well, Joe, thank you so much for joining us. This was a fucking blast and, uh, let's not have it be another two and a half years before we have you back. All right.
2: Agreed. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Alright, well, everybody, thank you for listening. Until next time, if a handsome, beautiful, ripped stranger ever knocks on your door, maybe, uh... Tell him to eat dirt. Yeah, maybe just don't open the door. Tell him to eat shit and die. Good night!